This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hello, this is Shadi Anozier with the SNC Podcast. Join me bi-weekly as I talk with some of Nigeria's unique music producers and songwriters about their creative process and more. Follow us at the SNC Podcast on SoundCloud. Cheers. Hi, everyone. I'm teaming up with the website Rewire.news to explore the intersection of their work and mine on a brand new podcast called Get It Right. On Get It Right, we explore pop culture through the lens of justice, and particularly reproductive justice. I'll be talking to critics and creators about comics, movies, TV, music, anything is fair game. You can find it now on iTunes or Stitcher to search for Get It Right or Rewire. Give it a listen and drop us a review with any ideas for what you'd like to hear us cover. See you soon. Universal FanCon is a brand new convention coming to the Baltimore Convention Center in April of 2018. FanCon will be a round-the-clock event featuring comics, cosplay, gaming, celebrity guests, music, and more with a focus on diversity and inclusion. Get your tickets now at UniversalFanCon.com because geek is universal. This is LaToya Morgan. I'm a writer on Into the Badlands, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Hi, this is Anika Noni Rose, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. What's up, y'all? This is Amanda Steeles, comedian, writer, and creator of Get Your Life, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Khaleesi! Peace, y'all. What's up? This is Akil, the MC from the Jurassic Five, and you are now tuned in to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Yeah, I like nerdy girls. Hey there, this is Ava DuVernay, creator of Queen Sugar on OWN, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, y'all. This is LeVar Burton, Kunta, Jordy, Reading Rainbow Guy. You are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. It is the bomb diggity podcast on the interwebs, but... You don't have to take my word for it. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies and actors. For tuning in to episode 126 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is titled Corey's Living Color and Fandom to Creator at SDCC. In our first segment, we interview the legendary Corey Glover of the hit rock band Living Color. He has a one on one interview with Kristen and talks about some new projects he's got coming up. And our second segment features a panel that I was on over at San Diego Comic-Con called Fandom to Creator, moderated by Robin Jordan of Black Girls Create. So that is our show. Two fantastic segments 
And if you have not done so already, please share everything about this podcast. You can do it on social media using the BGM podcast hashtag. And please share with everyone where they can find us. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Spotify. And now we have a new home over at Art19. So sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 126. Corey's Living Color and Phantom to Creator at SDCC. Corey Glover is a singer, guitarist, and actor. He's known best as the lead vocalist of the rock band Living Color and is toured as a vocalist for the funk band Galactic. As an actor, he's noted for playing Francis in the 1986 war movie Platoon. Living Color found immediate success with the release of their debut album Vivid in 1988. It eventually went platinum in April 1989 and again five years later. The album's single, Cult of Personality, won a 1989 Grammy Award for Best Hard Rock Performance and the band was named Best New Artist at the MTV Music Video Awards. Hi, this is Kristen. Thanks for uh, joining us on uh, this segment of Black Girl Nerds. And I am so excited to be joined by the incomparable Corey Glover of Living Color. Corey, thank you for joining me. (laughs) Please don't. Don't do that. Don't don't do that. Well, you 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 are like a living classic. I have to. I just want to tell you that. I mean, I'm I'm in my early 40s, and you were just like everything to me from like high school on. Listening, and I know that there's other people feel this the same way, and um, it's just it's great that you reached out to us, and you know, um, and we're having a chance to talk about the new album, um, and well, what I you love, guys have I, been up to. Yeah, well, I just 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 on the, off the bat, I love Black Girl Nerds. Let me just tell you, I love that podcast. It is the I'm sorry, it's the shit. It really is the shit. <laughs> Thank anyway, you. Uh, <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> Well, so you embarrassed so me, I embarrassed you. There you go. I didn't have that. <laughs> Tip for tat. Okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, there's so much that I so want to talk to you about. Um, I, I do I just want to back it up. Last year was the first time that I was able to see Living Color not once but twice in person. And wow. I'm just – yeah, I saw you at Afropunk. I was there for right. the, the the major jam band, which basically completely blew blew my mind. That was the very first time I saw you. And it was wow. you guys uh uh you guys Fishbone and Bad Brains, yeah. And Bad Brains. What what was that yeah. like getting that together? It it was I know oh, you guys shut down a, Brooklyn. <laughs> it's a, it was a logistical nightmare, but it, it was it was it's like it's a family reunion. All we needed was a was a barbecue thing in on on stage and it had been, you know, it's like it it been it'd been a family reunion. It's basically basically what it was. It's like folks we we haven't seen in a while, some uh you know, and some newer bands that came along and sang sat in with, with us and, and with Fishbone and with, with the Bad Brain. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And we had a great, great time. We had a really good time. It was a long day, but it was a great time. 
Well, I will say from from the a fan perspective, being in the audience, it just seemed like everything basically shut down, and everybody was like, "It's all you." <laughs> like, like the fans were having such a blast. Um, oh, what, what is what does it feel like to be kind of like the the elders? Um, if I may use that word of of uh, punk music and Afro punk and you know this type of um, genre, how does how does it feel like to have folks who are younger, especially African Americans who are younger, kind of looking up to Living Color and what you guys have been able to accomplish? Well, you know, it's 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 so it does my heart good to see, you know, particularly in Brooklyn because that's where I'm from particularly in that area, you know, I hung out out there and um, to see folks being able to express themselves in a way that's not particularly a cliche, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that, you know, I always felt there was a a handful of us that, you know, that were not your typical urban-centered African-American kid growing up in Brooklyn um, and to see that there's a, that there's a, a world of that that exists now is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, that is, that is, that is really cool. That is, and you guys were, like I said, you guys were awesome there. And then talk to me about or tell us about what it was like opening up. I was actually in the audience um, for the opening of the African-American History and Culture Museum. And uh, yeah. um, you guys came out. What was it like being out out there and 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 performing and celebration that weekend? Oh, was it, that was absolutely incredible. You know, um, to see the building, just the building itself. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean it was brought you to tears just to see that. A celebration of the movements and the contributions and the history and the joy and the pain of black culture and African-American culture was just awe-inspiring. And just, it was, and the show was just great. It was just great to see all these folks out there on the mall just having a good time and celebrating and being celebrated at the same time. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. It, it was funny. At one point, it was during when uh, Public Enemy was on, and they uh, they were um, they were performing. And a, my friend who I went with turned around, and she's like, here we are in this site where they actually bought and sold slaves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Celebrating with Living Color and Public Enemy and the Roots, and she's like, I, I can't. This is too much for me to handle. I mean, it was, it, it, it was awesome. It, it was, and the I, I'm a member, so the week before I actually got in and and saw your spandex pants, spandex pants, <laughs> like in the, in the music section. Yeah, that's very, very bizarre, bizarre to think that there's a there's a rubber suit in in a museum. That I that I sweated in a lot. <laughs> what was it like when they asked you to to donate it? It, it like you want to put it where you uh, <laughs> you want to you want to put it in a museum, a museum. 
I'm really old. I feel really, really old now. Yes, I've, I've gotten to that point. I am, I'm an old man. He wore rubber seats at one time. It's, it's, it, was, it, was, it was strange. It's very, very strange. But, you know, um, I, I, I'm deeply, deeply humbled by the fact that we, we made that kind of impact on the culture that we had that that what we said and what we've done what we did and what we do matters in some way shape or form and you can't you can't put words to that at all yeah it is have you i know i'm assuming you you've already been have you gone back or i mean um or have you just been once to the the museum I've never, you know, quite frankly, I haven't gone in there. I can't, I, I can't, I, 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 I'm, I'm gearing up to go in there, and I want to take my children to see it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get a chance to go with that day. I didn't get a chance to go take my kids to see it. So we're going actually next week to go to go see it. And, and I don't know if I can, I'll be able to take it. It's a, the, my emotions are, are, will be, are, I'm really nervous about going, walking through this museum, not to see you know, the living color exhibit or anything like that, but just the mm-hmm. wealth and breadth of this whole museum and all the stuff that's in it. It's gonna it's it, it's going to be a lot. It will. I'll be honest with you. I've been four times. I've managed to tack on with folks who's had an you know, an extra ticket because you know how hard it is to get tickets and um I will say the second time I was there was when it emotionally, it finally just caught up with me. And, you know, I had to, there there are rooms that you can actually go off and you do see people. It is, it's, it's, it's emotional, but it's, but there's pride in that, you know, I mean, you don't, right. you just of the stuff that the breadth of, of stuff that they have and, and not just on the music level, but even on the history level, it's just, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I've heard about what stuff that they have in there, like the, the bottoms of, uh, of slave ships. And, oh, my God, I, I don't know if I can take that. I don't know if I'd be able to take that. It's, it's, it's a lot. I, I'd have to do it incrementally, but it, it, it's, it'll, it'll be a lot. It'll be a, a big thing to deal with. Yeah, but when you when you walk out, trust me, you're you're gonna feel you, you will walk much straighter as you walk out because you'll be mm. proud that you know <laughs> that this is our museum. Right, I highly, right, exactly. I highly recommend everybody to go to it. I mean, it's 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 worth the trip to DC if you don't live in DC. It's definitely oh, worth I, the trip. I, I, completely, completely. Uh, but before, sorry, I see a rabbit hole <laughs> happening, oh. and us just going down that rabbit hole. Um, yeah, I, you, you and I tend to do that. Um, <laughs> But let's talk about th- this awesomeness that is your new album that's coming out next okay. month, um, right. Shade, which is yes. I've I've been listening to it nonstop since I got the um, the link um, to it, um, and it is I I'm having a hard time even picking a favorite um, song because each song is so different. What? Um, yeah. What prompted the this new album, and how did it? Um, how did you figure out what songs to include? Well, it started um, a couple of years ago, about five or six years ago. We did the celebration of the life of Robert Johnson, the 100th anniversary of his birth, 
mm-hmm. and we played at the and we played at the Apollo, um, and we decided we were playing a couple songs of Robert Johnson's, not least of which was Preaching Blues, and Vernon came up with the idea of why don't we do the blues? We you know we've tackled issues in our own way. Why don't we tackle the blues in our own way? Um, we never really, we, you know, we pay we pay homage to it in how in what we play and how we do it, but we've re- never really taken the time to say this is about the blues and how we see it and how we feel about the idiom of the blues and how it is it's how it expresses itself mm-hmm. and the ways it, it expresses itself. So we decided. We're going to go in the studio and record Preaching Blues. And then from pre- recording Preaching Blues, we said, okay, let's make an album. Let's go out and make a record. And we spent a great deal of time just going over stuff and writing new songs and, and finding songs that we thought were, were appropriate to, to do um, and making an effort to really sort of form a concise idea of what we see as the blues in its emotional, in its musical, in its uh, social placement in the world. Um, and, you know, the thing about when we did Preaching Blues, what we noticed was this is a, wasn't a song about, you know, my woman that left me and everything's bad. This was a guy talking about his own depression. Mm-hmm. You know, t- talking about his emotional state, you know, and what and and, and how he had, how he had to get it out of himself. He had to get it away from him. He had to he had to push the devil aside to get so to and had to do it through the blues. And it's an amazing sort of like observation on what the world has done to you. And. We wanted more. We wanted to do stuff. We wanted to do more stuff like that. We wanted to talk about those things in on this on this album. So we came up with freedom of expression and come on. Mm-hmm. Not 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 very long after we started deciding to make an album, um, the idea of doing who shot you. Because, you know, I'm a big Biggie fan. I'm a fan. I've been a fan from the word go, from his mixtape days, from when he lived down the block from me. And I'd see him on the corner. He was slinging, but he would, there's sometimes there'd be a cipher on the block, and, mm-hmm. and you'd hear about this kid. You'd hear about Biggie. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was, you know, so there was, I, 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 was, I was a fan. I was a big fan. And, the whole idea of who shot you, you know, this was sort of like he was taunting somebody, but really it was about his own mortality. Who's going to shoot me? Who's going to kill me? And it was prophetic in its own way because oh, of, yeah. obviously, um, and, and to, to sort of like, Again, we I we, I go down rabbit holes. Living Color is is just <laughs> one giant rap, just giant sinkhole of ideas, um, and the whole idea of like who's doing, who's perpetrating the violence on you, and who are you perpetrating violence on, and the whole idea of that 
we as a society have decided that the way that you solve a problem is with a gun. If you got beef, you got you get a gun. If you have an argument, if you have if you have some sort of disagreement, the way that disagreement ends is with violence. And, and, and it seems, this, no, sorry, sorry, it's like, it, you know, it's like it seems to me too that I mean I loved that song when it first came out, but even now right. looking at both the original and then the phenomenal. Um, remake that you guys did it just it has like a whole new meaning to it now in 2016 2017 with all the craziness that's going around it just right when, it, when you when you look at police violence and and, and police police brutality and think that's their solution to inner city crime just kill them all mm-hmm. but that's not how it works that's not how it works um, when you look at, you know, terrorist violence, and I, and, and when, when I say that, I'm not just talking about, you know, uh, you know, Muslim, uh, Arab and Muslim terrorism. I'm talking about Charleston, South Carolina. I'm talking about, you know, things that put fear in people, that the idea that you, you know, I'm a, a, a big believer that you come from two places. You come from fear, you come from love. And all of this stuff is fear-based. All that kind of violence, all that kind of uh, just male bravado, you know, bullshit comes from fear. You know, what's the what's the thing that the cops say when they when they say they were sh- they, they had to shoot some kid or shoot somebody? Well, I was oh. in fear for my life. Mm-hmm. But that's not what your job is. Your job is not to be in fear for your life. Your job is to protect people. Mm-hmm. So what's more important to you is to come at it with, it with with your misgivings and your fears and your insecurities or come at it with some sort of acceptance and understanding of where you are and what you're doing. So, you know, those are the kind of things that, that get thrown into the hopper of, Living color making music. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and so we tried. We tried really hard to get into to tap into that emotional core of what of what the blues is, and who shot you was was paramount of that kind of idea. Oh yeah, that uh, blackout was amazing. Blackout. Yeah, black is about black rage, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's about it's seriously about black rage. It's about you know, you don't or invisible, you know. Either I'm either I'm a major threat or I'm not seen at all. You know, it's it's all there. That's what's all there. Yeah, I mean it's it's just and with with. The songs that you guys did for this album, I mean, Program is another one that I loved. Mm. Uh, it's it's one of those situations where they're all so different, but it all works together, which was just amazing. You know, I mean, that's what I was like. I'm having a hard time saying, oh, this is – because you shot you, that pretty much was my commuting song since you guys dropped it. I was like, it's <laughs> right, right, right. And, you know, but um, – you know, but then, like I said, when I heard Preaching Blues, when when um, 
your management sent me the the uh, the link to listen to, I was just like, oh, I can, you know, okay, this is my favorite. Then Blackout came. I'm like, no, 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 right. this is my favorite. <laughs> I mean, right. it's one of this is, these are one of those. This is to me. I mean, this is this is an album that can be played all over the place. I mean, it, it, and it just it it does speak to your soul. So I mean, it it is perfect and. Um, it's just great to have you guys back, you know, and and to and just to get something, you know, your creative juices, like that you guys are like, here you go, here's our gift to you. <laughs> right. Um, right. Right. Well, we, you, we, you know, I'm sorry. Go on. You were gonna say something. No, I was like, I was like, are you, um, as you're um, performing, have you have you performed other than like who shot you? Have have you been able to perform any of these new songs live yet in front of like yeah. um, huge audiences? Yeah, um, we, what... we played "Come On" a couple of times. We play mm-hmm. um, we we play "Who's That" a lot. Um, we haven't gotten to "Blackout" yet. I, you know that that that's gonna take that's some heavy lifting to mm-hmm. to just. Not just in terms of the playing, but just in terms of like really getting to that, you know, musical, emotional, sort of revving up thing that Blackout sort of talks about. Um, so we we'll get to it. We you know we're going on the road this fall, and we'll road test all of it. Oh, awesome! And um, I when um, so you can let everybody know when is the new album out officially? The album drops on September eighth. Uh, it'll be on iTunes and it'll be on uh, Apple Music. It'll be, um, I think it'll it will be streaming um, on all the major streaming sites. I think it, it'll, it'll you can actually order vinyl from Amazon. It'll be everywhere. We're trying to get it everywhere. Oh, awesome! And what cities are, have have you guys confirmed any cities for this fall for your tour? Or well, well we're going to go to uh, Europe. Um, oh. In the beginning of September, we're going to go to Holland and do a couple of festivals out there, and then we're going to go to the UK and play in out in England for a bit, and then come back, and then hit the states and hit the ground running and see how that goes. Okay, so 2018 is when I should be prepared to to uh, to to see you guys in in DC. Well, I'm hoping. No, I think we we'll probably get to DC this fall, and this oh, fall, good. this winter, we'll be in DC. Yeah. Okay, cool. It should be that first. Perfect. But we'll be everywhere. Perfect. We'll try to we'll try to get everywhere. Okay, and um, yet again, the the album is called Shade which, of course, is an yeah. awesome album name. <laughs> it comes out September 8th on all the yeah. streaming platforms, and everyone's going to download it, buy it, and blast it out of their their cars and in their houses so everyone can, can right. um, feel the living color and the emotion. So that's what, that's what our yeah. plan is, right? Okay, I just yeah. want to double-check. <laughs> yeah, please. It, please, so, so I don't have to do it all by myself. Okay, no, 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 no. I got you. I got you covered <laughs> down here. So we'll, we'll right, I, cool. and I got right. some other. Yeah, well, we got you covered. Well, thank you, cool. Corey. It's it has been awesome talking to you as always. Um, thank you for for taking time out of your day, and um, hopefully we'll be talking again soon about you know announcing your um, the U.S. tour dates and cities, so everyone in the Black Girl Nerds community knows what's going on, and we'll come and. Uh, and see you guys live and get blown away like I did. 
Well, I hope you come down and check us out and, and stick around, and we'll sit and sit around and talk. I, I, we, I love doing that, too. So Perfect. Well, thank you, Corey, and um, thank you so much. Anytime. Anytime, Kristen. Our next segment is the Fandom to Creator panel over at San Diego Comic-Con, featuring moderator Robin Jordan and panelists Alana Amira Yisrael, Shanae Prasad, and yours truly. We discuss everything from taking the leap from being a fan to being a content creator. And we share how our participation in fandom communities inspire our creative endeavors and give advice to those starting their own journey to becoming a creator. Like, oh, that world isn't for me, you know what I mean? 
Um, but was, I think I was one of the first to sing fans on the planet, so that was yeah. really nice. <laughs> <laughs> I was just telling my friends, I used to write insane fan fiction. So I didn't even know that it was like me. So I didn't even know that fan fiction existed outside of like singing books for the longest, until like three or four years ago. So I'm new. Um, do you guys remember like chat rooms on AOL? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that's where my fandom really built and like message boards and uh, stuff. Nice. So yeah, um, it's funny you mentioned fanfiction, like fanfiction.net, that's where I wrote a lot of stuff um, and was able to kind of connect with other fans of certain properties that we were like super stands over. So. Um, it really started from that, and then, of course, later on, social media happened, and that kind of blew up on its own, and um, like I had mentioned before in my introduction, live tweeting has been a really great way for me to connect with fans online, with watching shows um, like Mr. Robot, and Orphan Black, and Sleepy Hollow, I don't even know mm-hmm. I stopped watching that show. started like with like being a crazy Disney fan and just like watching movies over and over again going to Disney World reading all the like books about the parks and being like kooky like that and then when the internet was a thing I started writing fan fanfiction.net it's all still out there oh. or tell anyone how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I could write like really deep cut fan like yeah. He texted me recently and was like, why didn't you tell, t- tell me about Star Wars? And I was like, you're my older brother. And how do you not know about Star Wars? Um, so I was never really involved in fandom um, until kind of the internet, and especially Twitter and social media, which I've bones to pick with Jamie and her East Coast supremacy live tweeting as a we are all watching the show and kicking me off of Twitter for three hours. And then when she started live tweeting um, Drag Race, I was like, oh, now this is personal. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, so it was one of those things where it was something that I really did on my own and I didn't even know that there was like a nerd thing. I was, oh, so no one reads Harry Potter every day and weekly and then has a timeline of what's going on that's not a normal thing or 
Um, you know, you don't watch Buffy and then watch the episode of Buffy before the next episode of Buffy so that you can understand and have the timeline. And, okay, that's, you know, a nerd thing, but I didn't have the vocabulary until the internet. Um, and uh, really, the coworker introduced me to Doctor Who, and I was like, oh, "This is a whole other level of thing." Um, but yeah, so that was kind of how I got involved in fandom, and it hasn't been until I started Black Rose Create, which we've been up and running for about two years now, that I've gotten um, really involved as in doing panels at the con that I used to just walk up to after school. Like this is. Um, insane, like the growth of San Diego Comic Con, and yeah. Um, so, off of that, I want to know what projects are you working on that you're really excited about? Me? Oh, okay. I love you, Sinead. So, Sinead is a cast member on my show. She plays Parvati Patil, which is amazing. But She's so great. She, with Shipwreck, they do such cool stuff, and I was like, you would be so perfect for this. You know, like, let's do this, because they have such great work, and they've got a really cool project coming out. So that's why I was like, Sinead, yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, I'm excited about this. We're making um, a short film. It's a film noir um, short. And we've been really excited about it for my brother and Mary Kate, who's a special check as well, are here. And um, yeah, we, my brother and I really love the film Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And we've always wanted to do like a sort of silly slapstick film noir. So that's our project. We, we can start it last month and are going into production on Friday. Ah, that's great. Yay. Thank you. Um, so I. Of course, there's a whole lot more Hermione to tell. Um, lots of really cool things you have planned for that. But I also, so because like I said, I'm kind of just getting into this, and I'm a filmmaker already. This is just something I decided to do for fun. And then, because again, I just had no idea like, um, that there was a world outside of me and my friends, my immediate friends and my family. Um, so the work that I have coming up is not fan related. It's not like, a spinoff of anything, but it's just me doing more. I will say, I am obsessed with black women and like women of color, so everything that I come up with will be about one of those people. It's just like, oh, what can they do? Where can they be? What are they going to do? All this, and like, that's just my thing. So, um, writing my first feature film, and I'm writing a TV pilot that looks like it's so I'm just doing some things, and we have an investor in Miami, and so through that and through some other like avenues, it looks like we may have a future film coming soon, which is going to be very exciting, I know. And I'm writing a really, really cool, and that's like very much real world, no sort of fantasy at all. Um, but I'm also writing, we have a pilot that we're writing about two sisters from the south side of Chicago who are magic, so that's going to be. Because that's the one thing, I'm in a book club with my cousins, and we read a bunch of a bunch of stuff and we never we never see like us in the book. So we're sitting around discussing these books and how great they are. But none of the characters look like us and our friends and the people that we hang out with. And I was just like, well, why can't um, you know, me and my cousin from this house and her best friend who was born in Mumbai, why can't we be magical and like go do cool things? So that's what we're about. And that's what I got coming up. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh wow, there's a lot. So, <laughs> some of it I mentioned in my intro, um, Universal Fan Con is 
basically it's a convention where we decided, myself and this group called the Black Geeks, you know, we've been on social media for over five years now with our respective brands and just connecting and engaging with the fans and followers of our platforms. And we decided that, you know, folks have always been tweeting me throughout the years, have you ever thought of, you know, doing a con for black girl nerds? And um, it was a very overwhelming idea to even think of. Um, but we kind of put our heads together and decided to launch Universal Fan Con. Um, my role is Director of Community Outreach, so um, I do a lot of the PR, and I also work with other affiliates, and by that I mean other podcasters, other bloggers, um, who already have great followings to spread the word about Universal Fan Con, and also to give them an opportunity to have you know, their own space at the con. Um, so folks like Fangrove's, uh, Graveyard Shift Sister, Megasheen, and all of these groups are, um, you know, people of color, people with disabilities, um, people of the LGBTQ um, queer spectrum. Like these are folks that are a makeup of what Universal FanCon is supposed to represent, and that is about diversity and inclusion. Um, so that is happening next year that I'm involved in. Um, I am writing a book. It should be done by the end of this year. It's supposed to publish um, sometime next year. We don't know an exact date. Um, so probably next year at Comic-Con, I'll be downstairs at the Penguin Random House booth, <laughs> hanging out there for a while. Thank you. So that's very exciting. And I also am the executive producer of a podcast called Misty Night's Uninformed Afro. And that's about black superheroines. So we actually, a week ago, just uh, started season two. And I'm really just excited about that because, you know, I kind of came up with the idea with my co-host, Stephanie Williams, and thought, we know about these superheroes. Like, we've heard their names, we've heard Storm, we've heard Misty Knight, but what do we really know about them? So we go over their origin stories. We go over their love interests throughout the years, all of their different story arcs, story arcs in these comic books. And um, it's been received really well. So uh, this past summer, we put up a Patreon. We've gotten some support. And now season two is happening. And, and I'm really excited about that. So yeah, that's what I've been up to. Can I add, when she said podcast, I actually forgot, but I also just recently started a podcast. What? <laughs> oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> well, we, we, we record it, we, like, have it, we're going to premiere it August <laughs> 1st. It's going to premiere, it's going to be available for starting yeah. August 1st. Um, but it's a podcast, basically for people that are following their dreams, it's called With Sunshine and Moxie. And it's just about that, yes, it's great and it's super cool and it's awesome, but it also means that sometimes you're deciding to pay your phone bill or like buy plugins for the project you're working on. And, and it's about, you know, your friends and family don't know exactly what it is that you do, but they know that you're constantly doing your thing and like trying to, and it's like, oh, you're still doing that. <laughs> oh, you haven't like let go of that and started something normal. And you're like, no, it's just, hey, I swear this is almost there. Like, I'm almost there. So it's just for all of us that are like pushing to try to make this thing happen, whatever that thing is for you. But we talk about it from the community because that's what we do. Yeah. So with Sunshine and Moxie. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we have a look out for that. Yes. Um, so I have a blog called Black Girls Create, and what we 
primarily do is podcasts. We have a Harry Potter podcast called Wizard Team, where we reread the books chapter by chapter, super in-depth. We just started Order of the Phoenix, um, so that's really exciting. Um, I wrote to my brother over here in the front row to do a podcast called Cousin Black, so it's an Orphan Black after show. Um, with our other cousin, cousin Black, their cousin, they're Black, you get it? Uh, I'm really proud of that. Um, we, had, we have a um, Doctor Who uh, after show podcast that happens with a Black girl nerd contributor, Connie um, Gibbs, and my partner, and we just kind of talk about that stuff as well. Um, and then one of the things I'm really excited about is that we are doing these monthly features on black women creators. So I've had Eliana featured for a month, Kate Comer in the audience right there, she's been featured, um, and just really trying to highlight the things that people are doing that we don't really know about and what kind of spurs them to do those things. I think that's really interesting. Um, and as someone that's working full-time, doing the blog full-time and stuff, just trying to figure out ways in which I can continue to kind of go after other passions. Um, I got some really good advice from someone on this panel saying, if you want it done, just start talking about it. Just, you know, make the, um, make it so that there's pressure for people to be like, hey, what happened to that thing you were talking about? So, um, you know, my goal is to have content and like really critical fandom. I don't think that I want to. I, I, I like to write, I'm kicking around this novel in my head for years, but I also think it's really important to have spaces where we can talk about the things that we love and the stuff that we love, but do it critically and, um, and help to kind of spur on seeing the creations that we want to see out in the world. So that's kind of where I feel like I fit in to the creation part, which is not creating like new works, but I'm, I want to be the, a place where I'm giving voice to people that are creating those new works, and I'm also giving voice to the fans that are saying, you know, hey Marvel, hey DC, hey Scholastic, whatever, do better, um, JK Rowling, <laughs> do better. So um, I, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, so. And what you guys were talking about with your projects and things, um, from representation to, you know, having a con where people can go and, and really feel, you know, accepted in things, are, whenever you're taking on a project, do you kind of intentionally set out to fill a void that you see in fandom, or do you just, you know, go after the projects that speak to you and maybe do those things intersect at all? I think we're already the fillers of the void. I mean, <laughs> you know, for people that are um, privileged that, you know, don't see those folks that are marginalized and see that they don't have representation, then they do have to actively seek out filling the void. But we're already filling it with our respective works because we are simply writing stories about characters that reflect us or we're, you know, reviewing books that feature characters that reflect us. So um, when I'm writing articles or any of the contributors of BGN are writing articles, they're doing it because, you know, they see themselves in this art and that's what they want to project out there to everybody else to see themselves. So, yeah, I, I feel like we are the fillers in itself. It's not something that we need to actively seek out. 
Yeah, I, I think I probably, I would say the only, the only, um, the only void I intentionally seek to fill, actually, in my work, is just Native Americans. Um, and that's, it, I don't even know why, but just ever since I was a kid, I just always thought it was really weird that you'll get, like, a spattering of other groups of people on television, but you just, there's never any Native American people on TV. It's just like they don't exist. Uh, so that, I'm always like, but I also, you know, it's important to be respectful. So that's something that I'm always thinking about. And I, you know, see out the American actors with the cast and women on our show. It's, it's a brief role right now, but like, and I've been talking with her, like, you know, to expand it, but with intention and with respect. But I would say besides Native Americans, I, I don't know that I actively seek to include other people. It's really just my world. Like, my world is so diverse. I have so many different types, like my friends come from different backgrounds, different relig religious backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, gender backgrounds, like it's so, my world is so full of it that I just am putting out what's already there. That's what I think. But Native Americans, I definitely am always like, Where, where's that? <laughs> right. I feel like very selfish in mine because <laughs> I'm like, when I, because I act a lot and I go on auditions and it's hard to get, you know, a role on a sitcom where everybody's like all a white family or all Asian family, and I'm like never going to be part of the family because no one knows who I am. Um, and I'm not going to get the main role on the sitcom. So I had to write the stories that I wanted to see in the world and cast myself as, you know, I'm a ghost in my last one. And like, ghosts are all like the pale Tim Burton kind. I always grew up loving Tim Burton, and I was like, I'm never going to be in a Tim Burton movie. I'm not pale and blonde. I'm so casting myself as that, and like in our noir, um, yeah, there's no, there's um, a really amazing actress called Merle Oberyn. She's a film noir actress, and she was in Wuthering Heights in the like, 30s. And she had to hide the fact that she was Indian. She's like pale, so she could get away with it. But she was Indian, and when they found out, everybody was like, "You need to, you're not going to be cast anymore. You need to hide this, or they're like you're not going to be in Hollywood." Um, so. Far in my few years here, I've been like, I'm gonna cast myself all these lead roles, and <laughs> never would have been cast in otherwise. And yeah, so I feel very selfish, but that's what I'm doing. Yeah, right now. Very <laughs> and it's it's things like like that. It infuriates me, to be honest. It just it, it, it literally I can't handle it. So I feel like, and and that's why it, to me it wasn't enough that I direct. And I kind of feel like Avery Cooper has done the same thing. I'm doing it on a much smaller level. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm getting it. Uh, but anyway, but I felt like it's not enough for me to just have like, oh, I'm directing, you know. But I, I am trying to build up to having a studio where there can be the shenanigans of the world need to be able to get any parts that they want. She's got the talent, you know what I mean? So, so that infuriates me. And of course, I'm just such a consumer of things. It's just like I want to know about everybody in the world, and the only way to do that is to just make it. Because otherwise, I'm not going to tell the stories we're looking for. Yeah. They won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so what role really does your identity kind of touched on that? But, like, what does it, what role does that play in, um, in what you're creating and why? Like, when you're thinking about your next project and why you, you want to make this story or tell this story, um, is it, I haven't seen uh, Indian American. Ghost, and so that's what I want, you know. 
did it start there or did it start with like, oh, there's this really cool ghost story and I want to tell it and therefore I'm going to put myself in or, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I just see what I like in the media and I'm like, I thought I want me to do that. <laughs> I don't want it to always be you doing it. I want to be like, I can just do whatever I want. My friends can be whatever they want. They don't have to like fit into that one box because it's so much more interesting yeah. than it's not the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I think so too. I I do think that it's just like, I'm obviously thinking about myself, you know, in the sense of like, again, all the things that I like, and you just, I, I think you just put out what's already there. Um, but to even speak to that, I, I started watching Still Star Cross this week, just because I was doing my hair and I needed something, I was like, oh, I'm sure this would be fine. And I used to get really irritated with colorblind casting when I was a kid. I think I, I mentioned a lot of these podcasts, but I was a kid who was very much like, I didn't like things that weren't real. And I was just like, there's no way that person could have that person. And I just needed like factual things. Um, but that was really interesting because it's, it's literally just, oh, we're sisters and our mother is just actually, both of our parents are completely European and this Chinese person is our cousin and like there's no explanation given. It's just like, oh yeah, that's, you know, our dad's brothers. And I was like, you know what? That's awesome. Done. I sure. It's really interesting. Who knew this would be this cool? I have to go talk to my 10 year old self and be like, it's okay. It's fine. This whole industry is making stuff up. It's true. It's true. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. We're great. Oh, the yeah so anyway so i just i just feel like i'm just me and i just want to put out what i like and i guess yeah i always do think black females first because i'm a black female so i'm always just like ooh, i want to do this i'm going to do that and like okay the character's going to be this but besides that but i think it's important not to just have this like super world of any one thing you know because again I have, it's not like I only know black people. And right. I think that that's what's so weird. Like, TV can be so homogenous. It's like, yeah, this isn't. I was at a panel at Comic Con a couple years ago, and this really stuck with me where one of the, and it was obviously one of the diversity in comics panels. Um, but one of the guys said, if you look at the back panels, the backgrounds of the comics that you're reading, and everyone looks like on the street of New York City, <laughs> that, like, artist is literally walking around in blinders that doesn't you're not pulling that from the real world right so it's it's one of those things too where it's like it's more realistic to have a diverse population of people in your stories than it than not unless you're telling you know a children of a porn story or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know i think um it's one of the things that I stumbled upon with Black Girl Nerds is I was really surprised at how many people that are fans of the website are not black and not women. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned you know, being selfish, but I think by putting out content that speaks to women that look like you, there's a large contingent of people out there that are like, I want to see those perspectives. Yeah. Like, I want to hear those stories. And people all the time will email me or message me and say, you know, I really love your editorials on Doctor Who. Like, I get a different perspective because of that. Or, you know, I really love your take on, you know, what you thought about uh, this character on Orphan Black or whatever show it is that we're covering. 
or whatever book that we're covering, comic book or whatever, people really like the perspectives of a black woman's voice, you know, talking about not only race and gender, but just talking about the story and seeing it through a different lens. Mm -hmm. And that's really, really important. And that's something that I found with EGN, because when I did the analytics for the website, I'm just like, there's more dudes reading our content <laughs> than women. Um, but, you know, if you think about it, the geek and fandom culture, um, I mean, I guess, like, comic books, gaming, things like that, it's still kind of, like, predominantly male. Um, so, yeah, there, there are a lot of guys that are, are still looking at our gaming reviews or... Um, you know, different or comic book reviews and things like that. So, yeah, it, it's really interesting, but it's also really refreshing that um, you know all different kinds of folks are really drawn to that kind of content. Mm -hmm. okay. um, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say to speak to the question about um, do we bring our identity to the work that we do? Um, for Body Patel, for the longest time, I'm a second favorite character in the books, and it's because I, I watched the first two movies before I read the book, so I already had Emma Watson in my head as uh, art as Hermione. Um, and again, like growing up, I was always, even though I made factual things, but I was also the good enough girl. And so I always like, when you consume, I think, work that you like, you're always looking for the person that's the most like you, that that's who you identify with. And so with Power Rangers, I was like, and I think especially when you, like I'm a woman, I'm black, I'm this and that, so like with Power Rangers, I was like, okay, am I gonna go for Zach the Black Ranger or Trini the Asian girl? And I was like, well, I'm a girl, I prefer that. So I was like, Trini, she's good enough, that's my girl. And I would always like latch on to the person who's good enough, like close enough to me. And so there were obviously these like Indian twins and I always wanted to be a twin, like desperately wanted to be a twin. <laughs> um, and so I was like, oh my God, Indian people are like, they're brown, they're like darker. I was like, oh my God, I'm Parvati Patil. Like, that's close enough for me. Um, so I always was like looking for her in the books, and that was kind of like my person. Because she was the only, which before Cho Chang, she was the only like explicitly non-white person in the book. And like, we didn't get a lot of pay at first. So, so I think that that's probably why I'm always like, it's not, I do bring that, I think, but I, I'm not just like, oh, I need a bunch of black girls there, but I'm not going to need all the other girls that I latched on to, like the Asian girls, the mixed girls, like whatever it was, I was like, I need to have them there too. Yeah. I think, um, and I'm going to go into our last question before I open it up to questions from the audience, but with saying that, I always thought growing up in predominantly white spaces, um, the majority of my friends would be white or whatever, but there was always like, my best friend was Caribbean, and I would go to her house and be like, oh, it's Kimpoil, come on. Like, you know what I mean? And like, it wasn't what I grew up with, but it was still different, yeah. but familiar. Because yeah. there's a lot of familiarity and just like the way like the fi like families like interact and all that stuff, and it's not exactly the same, but it is familiar. Yeah. And so there is that sense of it's not all of me, but um, yeah. So this is the last question, and then I just want um, to open up to questions from you guys. But going from fan to creator, like, how do you do? You look at things through the lens of the fan, and how it's gonna come across, or do you, I think that there has to be this balance of like, I need to say what I want to say because that authenticity is important, but. 
Um, like I'm having this issue as a huge Harry Potter fan, but like Harry Potter no longer is owned by J.K. Rowling and Warner Brothers, and I feel like they owe us a certain amount of consideration when they're making things, especially because it's like if you're setting a movie, shade, if you're setting a movie in New York in Harlem. Um, I need to see some Harlem, you know what I mean, and I need to see if you're one, if you're president of the Magical Congress in 1920, is a black woman from Georgia, no, she wouldn't be mutually respecting kinship, my butt, like, that's not how that works. Um, so just to have a realistic story, even though it's fantasy, but, like, have a story that you can really lean onto and, and show respect to the fans, do you think that you're beginning as a fan really, like, kind of helps you when you're making those decisions? I don't. I, I think that, I think it's just who you are. You know what I mean? Because, like, I think that anything that's inauthentic, it's not going to come across well anyway. And then, like, if you don't consider that there, that a black woman would have had difficulty being the president of anything in 1920s America, I would not think it. Like, don't make the movie, but also don't make it. So I don't, I mean, I guess thank God I'm a person who does consider other people watchers. <laughs> but I think that if it's not who you are, I, I, I don't want to consume fake work. And I, and I, I find it more insulting for, it's just, just don't do it, I think. So, so I'm going to say no, but I think it's just who you are. But that also means we have to pick and choose more carefully who and what we consume, you know. Yeah, and I think the fans of uh, Black Girl Nerds depend on us being incredibly authentic with our reviews and having it be from a fan's perspective. So, for example, my very first press junket, um, Warner Brothers flew me out to L.A. to cover Batman vs. Superman. And, uh, <laughs> you know, my followers, I had periscoped my adventures in L.A. and they were like, are you guys going to be honest with your review of Batman vs. Superman? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be honest. It sucked. <laughs> it was terrible. Yeah, one of them flew me out. Yeah, they put me in a hotel. But I'm not going to be, you know, um, their minion and say that it was great because you took care of me. If a movie sucks, it sucks. Um, and that's why we are a Rotten Tomatoes um, outlet, a critic now, because Rotten Tomatoes sees the reviews that we do, both on the movie side, on the TV side, and they see that these are really valid reviews that are filled with integrity, that are filled with honesty, and that's what our fans want. Mm -hmm. um, and they like the fact that these are all fan-created kinds of perspectives on these shows. Um, you can tell that we're not working for sci-fi or Disney or anybody. Like We just have very blunt opinions. And as much of a fan I am of Marvel and Netflix and all of the superhero shows they've done, from Daredevil to Jessica Jones to Luke Cage, when Iron Fist came out, I said it sucked because it was it's terrible. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter if, you know, if this particular company or brand is used to you always saying really great things about their, their product or whatever, whether it's a TV property or a book property or whatever. You've got to be honest um, because fans detect fakeness a mile away, and um, I, I don't ever want to disappoint the folks that have helped BGN become the place where it is, so I'm always going to be honest about my opinions, whether they're unpopular or not, um, and sometimes people don't always agree with what I have to say, but um, 
that's me from the fan, you know, kind of putting out my own opinions about something and not being, you know, so objective about it. I feel like being a fan first has been really interesting because I've been, you know, part of the message boards where people have problems with things or the, the big things that are wrong, like with, with Game of Thrones and like the treatment of women, and it's been really great to like be on that side of it and see what irks people. But then when it gets down to to creating, I feel like that's common sense for me. So I don't, it's like okay, yeah, I'm not to treat my women characters. Like yeah, that, of course. But um, uh, an interesting part of it is when. Um, fans want something or they want a certain thing and you don't want to be like fan servicey, which yeah. sometimes I feel like I need to stop reading our comments because I'm like, oh yeah, wouldn't that be cool if we just had this character and back? Like, 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 it's like, story. no, that doesn't, that doesn't help the story. Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. So at a certain point, I'm just going to need to stop. 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 Like, what do they want? No, I can't. I can't do what they want. I have to do what I want. What I, what I set out to do. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so we have like ten minutes. Does anyone have questions? Um, comments or yeah. Yeah. Um, like I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm not, I don't know if I can word this question well, but um, regarding the way you deliver your ideas and your stories, um, like how how long. Do you stick with a way you're telling your story before you realize, you know, it's not working out or, you know, it's not, like people aren't really accepting it? And how do you um, go about looking for ways to improve that or change it so that, you know, it, it will be something that people will, will consume and, you know, get into? Uh, I, I honestly, I think that. To me, is right. I think that you just can't. I think it's one of those things that you have to believe in what you're writing and what you're creating, and you have to just commit to it, you know. Because otherwise, we, we see it all the time, especially in television, where it, it starts to feel aimless, it starts to feel like they don't know what they're doing, and that's because when you start trying to write for people to like it, as opposed to just writing what is your story. Listen, some great TV shows have been canceled because people didn't find it soon enough. And I know that like, what? Okay. Yeah. First of all, I thought popular from back in the early 2000s. Popular. Oh my God, it was so good. So good. It, was, <laughs> it was so, but it like didn't catch on. So like great shows get canceled all the time because the studio or the network didn't believe in enough to just continue to support it. And I think that that's the good thing about us being independent creators is that yeah, we might not have too much money and it takes us longer to put out episodes or whatever the case is, but you are the person who you can continue to believe in it. And like, you, it will find an audience, I think, if you just believe in it, if you continue to stick to what you're doing. I don't think you need to start trying to write to, to cater to your audience. Your show's gonna be a mess. <laughs> <laughs> there are shows like, like Parks and Rec and The Office that did like terrible first seasons and they were like, they had the time and the luxury to be like, okay, what do we gotta do? We gotta bring in awesome characters, we gotta do more of the plot, we gotta make it our own. Um, yeah, we don't probably have that luxury, so we have to be like really certain that we're doing the format right on the internet. It's got to be like short episodes that people can consume real quickly. Yeah, um, and just hope that it finds. And it's you know, yeah, and I think that's it. Like they kind of, you should check out Stripper. They don't also check out some of my but like, <laughs> like great stuff though. And, and that's the thing. It's like and you just continue to do things like this, and you find audience members one at a time and just like, hey, this is what I'm putting out, this is what I'm here to do. Yeah, really interactive. Yeah. So that's what I think. 
So you're all professionals in the industry, even though you come from Phantom, or uh, you know, professional reviewers. And I'm wondering if you ever have to draw a hard boundary between being like an actor or a reviewer and being a fangirl. Like when you show up to an event, do you have to say, I'm gonna present myself today at this event as a director, not as a fan? Is that a decision you ever have to make or a boundary you have to make? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, so I've done set visits for movies um, with big casts and it's hard not to fangirl over these folks. Um, so yeah, you definitely have to be professional. And as far as like reviews and stuff, you know, they're still subjective, but you know, I don't want to say, okay, this just sucks and that's it. Like I have to, you know, have reasons and definitions as to why this is problematic with the plot or, you know, with um, the technological aspects, cinematography, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely make sure that there are some boundaries where I'm not too far gone because you, you know, these folks won't bring you back if you fangirl out over, you know, Chadwick Boseman, you know, <laughs> press line for Black Panther. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you, you definitely have to have a level of professionalism and just kind of keep it inside, you know, and then geek out with your friends later about it. I'm not there. <laughs> the reason I look around to everybody else is because I, the person that I am, I, when I was, a kid and like looking out stuff on TV. I was legitimate and looked at Justice Hooper and I was like, oh, he's cute. Maybe when we were adults, I hope that he's big enough to be able to talk to me. <laughs> like that's, so that's what I've always been that person. I, I don't care about this because I'm always like, oh, like to me, I am Christopher Nolan. So like, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm so serious. Like I don't get excited about people. I just, Michael Jackson and Wendy Houston, like that would have taken me over the edge. Yeah, all for me. Yeah. And like even JK, I'd be like, so listen, like I'm new, like I don't want to talk, like, I don't, I don't get, and that's just, I was legit, like I hope Justin Timberlake can find me, like I hope he has access. <laughs> <laughs> Diligently every day to figure out ways to where 
I can make this startup be something where I can afford to leave the day job because something's going to have to give at this point. Um, but, you know, luckily, like, my lifestyle isn't too demanding. I don't have any kids. Um, uh, I don't have a boyfriend. <laughs> um, I'm single. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I have a lot of time to myself, basically. Um, so when I leave my 9 to 5, I go straight home to my office and I, I have to go to my second job, which is BGM. Yeah, I was going to say, you just have to put sleep on the list of things that you sacrifice. Uh, and, and also, too, it, it, having a great team, you know, I thankfully have been able to, to put together a really amazing team of people who um, are just, also have jobs and we show up and we commit it, which is, to be honest, I think that just committing is, is really, really hard to do, and I think that either you commit and you find people that commit. I, I made a short film last month, um, and I was driving uh, an hour and a half to Malibu every day in the morning and then back at night. And then there were some days where I just, I didn't. I, I work in, I'm on a TV show right now, and so I work a full 12, 12 and a half hour day. The commute is a monster, and I have to go home, and I'm like driving through the mountains doing edit notes. You know what I mean? So, and, and you just, you sleep an hour, and you get back up, and you go back to work, and you just have to decide, this is what I'm gonna do. But also my model is lazy people don't win Oscars. So, you just have to make it happen. Yeah, same. I uh, work a bunch of different jobs, the typical LA actor, like, you know, <laughs> shot, babysitting, all that jazz. But I also have an awesome team of Sean, Mary Kate, and my roommate, Sarah Chris Hart, who's not here. So, And we all just divide up the work and don't sleep a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah divide up the work, sacrifice sleep, and you got it. Yeah. yeah. I think, too, I'm one of those people that, like, have 80 different things that I want to do, and as soon as it comes in my head, I'm like, we should do that. And I'm lucky to have a partner that's like, we should do that. Not right now. <laughs> and um, learning to kind of give up, or not give up, but to prioritize. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is, I had to, because I'm kind of one of those people, I had to say, my nine to five is a nine to five, and mm -hmm. if I can't get it done by the time it's I have to clock out, I have to do it tomorrow because I am going home yeah. and working another job. But I'm also, I would be doing the, a lot of that stuff anyway. Like it's, it's just, it's, I'm, I feel compelled to do it. And so maybe I give up brunches or something or going wherever. But um, when you love something, it's like it's what you would be doing anyway. So you, you, you find the time and you find the way to make it work. And we are out of time. Um, make sure you follow all of these amazing women. Um, and you can ask us more questions outside if you like. And thank you guys so much for coming. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Brodnax. Various episodes are edited by Jamie Brodnax, MR Daniel, and John Bauer. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Art19, and Spotify. That was a HeadGum Podcast.